You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. So we're going to look at today that Paul gives this illustration about taking off the old clothes and putting on new that it's an, your clothing is an overflow of who you are, right? And so I can't think of a better example uh, of this than uh, Steve. Steve, would you come up here real quick? Uh, not everyone can see because of the lights and I want, and Steve needs to be highlighted. Um, many of you would like to be wearing this today. What do you think? All right, Steve. Big orange. All right. 15 years. 15 years he's been waiting to wear this. I'm in the moment. <laughs> he's feeling it. Uh, I, I saw him with the uh, children earlier this, uh, this morning, and we totally missed that first hour. And so uh, I was like, oh, I hope Steve comes to the service second hour. Um, and so uh, our clothing is an overflow of who we are, right? That sometimes if you are more laid back, you're going to wear more casual clothing often. If you are structured and, and organized, then oftentimes you're going to be more inclined to make sure your shirt's ironed and, and so forth. Our clothing is an outward expression of who we are. And so Paul kind of gives us this, this illustration. We're going to dive into that here later in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, as we're going to look at this, right? So if you have your Bibles or your journals, we are in the book of Ephesians. We took a little break the past couple of weeks to look at the festivals, the Jewish feast, and um, th- those were really neat to look at, and we were doing those by time. But before that, we had been in the book of Ephesians. And just to give a recap, uh, Ephesians is a book written by Paul. It's a letter that he was writing to the church in Ephesus. He spent two years in Ephesus ministering to the people, reaching out to them, caring for them, loving them. In this two years, I'm sure he, he taught many different people in the, in the city square, in, the, in this main building, but also I'm sure that he was reaching out in their homes. I bet there was times that he was there at a funeral when there was the passing of a loved one or he was celebrating with the birth of a child. These are the people that he loves and cares for. This is the church he started, and he's writing this letter to them. And the letter is set up very uniquely. It's it's six chapters, and the first half or so of the book is Paul giving this outline of of what it is to be a Christian, of what that doctrinally looks like, and this idea that the church there was made up of Jews and Gentiles, and so what it meant for these two to come together in unity, in love, that there's this common bond, that what it looks like to be the, the verse that we're God's masterpiece created to do good works through Christ Jesus that we are created for him and by him. And and so this whole idea, kind of looking at who Jesus is in relationship with this church and and who they are as a gathering group, right? So this letter is written to this church in Ephesus, but the reality is God made sure to preserve this letter for all of time to be able to be in the Bible. This letter was not just written to the church in Ephesus. This letter was written to you and me. And so the second half that we're about to get into of the book of Ephesians is now looking at what does this look like? That you have this relationship with Christ. What does it look like? What's it going to be? And and how are you going to live differently? And so this message, this, this chapter is written to the church in Ephesus. It's written to the believers in Christ. That people that say they believe in that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, his personal Savior. People that say that he died and rose again for the forgiveness of their sins. People like you and me. And so this letter is written for the believers to know how to behave. 
And so as we dive into this, if we're open and honest with ourselves, there might be moments where this, this passage is going to hit home. It's going to maybe step on our toes a little, maybe be a little too personal, because this is what it's meant to be. It's meant for us to grow. It's meant for us to not be just readers of the word, but doers, and to be able to change and, and grow ourselves as we dive into this. So, if you have your Bibles, open it. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, or we'll have it up on the screen. And 4, 17 says, So I tell you this, and insist, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. He's saying not that Gentiles are wrong, but in the ways of the people that do not believe in God, in the ways of people that do not believe in Jesus, that it's based on their thinking. Paul's going to dive into this a lot here in this chapter. That what are we thinking? How is our minds wired? How are we uh, focused? That he'll mention this through our mind. He looks at our understanding. Uh, looks at that we've, we're learning in Christ. That there's a lot here written about our mind and about how we think. Paul talks uh, often about the influence of people around us, influencing uh, our thoughts and our behaviors. I want to ask you, like I said, this is going to hit home with each one of us at different points this morning, but the people that you are around, how are they influencing your thinking? How are they influencing your attitude? Is it that? Is it thinking of the ways of the world? Or is it the attitude and thinking of those that are focused on Christ? The coworkers you, you spend time with, the friends you're engaged with, the, the people that you talk to, how are they influencing our thoughts? If you are inclined to be with a group of people, a group of friends, and, and you start complaining about your spouse, are they inclined to start complaining about their spouse, or are they going to point you how to improve your marriage, to focus it on God? How are the people that you're around influencing your mind? And so Paul talks a lot about not having the mind of the Gentiles, the thinking of those that are unbelievers. And he dives into this here, talks about, verse 18, talks about the way they think. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." The city of Ephesus has this temple to a fertility god. And so this was a very sensual town. This is a very sex-driven town. And so Paul addresses this, that the way that the people were thinking before they were accepting Christ has to be different. The things that they were pursuing, the habits, the, the things that they need to change. This is no different. This letter is written to us. This idea uh, of sensuality that our culture is, is, is saturated with is something that we need to pursue following God. And so when we look at this, the, the Gentiles gave in to these ways. Are we? Are we giving in to the ways of sex outside of marriage? Are we giving in to the ways of pornography or, and, and these kind of things? We need to change our thinking. Paul is telling them that they need to change their lifestyle because now they're new in Christ. They need to pursue this. So he goes on to say, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. I love that phrase that we were taught in him. It's not that you were taught about him. It's you were taught in him. That we as believers have been taught 
in him. I know I can learn a lot about Abraham Lincoln by reading books, but I'll never have a relationship with him. With Jesus, I can, because he's alive. And we can have a relationship with him as as believers. He is also in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. That we are taught in Christ, not just about him. And so Paul is speaking to the people. He says, church, Ephesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. You learn not just about Jesus, but you learn in Jesus. That this is part of who you are. That we are all connected. That we are all one. And in the previous chapters, we've talked about unity. That the Holy Spirit is unifying all of us. That we are in Christ. This isn't what we learned, that old way of living. We need to pursue the new way of living. Paul goes on to say, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created to be like God in, in true righteousness and holiness. That we're supposed to change who we are. To take off our old as if it was an old coat and put on a new. The point being that others would be able to see this. Do people see us living differently? Do people see Christ in us? Do people see these changes in us? It's an ongoing pro process. The passage here is to, mean, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. This is an active happening. The verb use here is that it's active. This is a constant changing no one's expecting us to be perfect, but are we pursuing being made new? Are we pursuing taking off our old habits, taking off the ways of the world, and pursuing the new? And when we talk about the old habits, as, as Paul is saying, you might be a, a lifelong believer. You might have grew up in the church. That's how I am. I, can, I don't have the story of, well, this is how I was before I met Jesus, because I was nine, right, when I got baptized. So when we talk about the, the old ways, well, yeah, I'm a lot different from when I was nine. But that's not what we're talking about. We are talking about the ways of the world. And there's times that uh, we fall into those traps. That our old self, the worldly self, the, the, the old clothes need to be made new. That I fall into the things that we're about to dive into here, looking at anger, looking at honesty, looking at these things. Am I pursuing the new and getting rid of the old? And so Paul goes on and he breaks this down for us. Gives us some of the old habits uh, of a non-believer and what it looks like to be a new, to, to be a believer, to have the new self on. So verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. To put off falsehood and put on truthful speech. That this is important, that we tell the truth, because we are all one, that we're part of the same body. That the lying and, and dishonesty is, not of, is of the world, is not of Christ. The first sin that, the, that was judged in the early church was the sin of lying. This is an important thing for Paul to relay to Ephesus, for Paul to relay to you and me. Number two is talking about anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sin go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. That's talking about our anger that there is a holy anger that we see in the Bible that God has. But for us, it's not that easy. For us, uh, our anger often gets mixed in with sin. And so we say something we, we shouldn't. We do something we shouldn't. We present uh, our anger comes out in a very sinful way. And so he's saying, don't pursue this anger. Don't even let the sun go down 
on your anger. This is something that I always share with premarital counseling. Whenever I meet with a couple, I tell them to not go to bed angry, to not go to bed separate. They don't have this, well, I'm going to sleep on the couch tonight. Because then inevitably you'll have a rough night's sleep. The, everything happens the next day. Life happens. You're busy. And, and you don't get a chance to work out the problem. And before you know it, you've been fighting two or three days. Often over something simple like someone not taking out the trash. This is something Sarah and I have lived by our, our whole marriage that we make sure we've made a pact to, to never sleep apart, that someone's out on the couch, that we will work through everything. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong. There's some nights that we just don't go to bed instead of, instead of going to bed angry, right? But we kind of work through it, and even if it's late into the night, it's still important that we don't go to bed angry. Paul continues, verse 28. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. To put off dishonest gain and put on honest labor. To work hard, to do those things. To not cut corners. And so when we talk about stealing, you might be like, ah, that that one's good, I'm good here. Because very few of us are probably at Walmart hiding a TV in our shirt and sneaking out the back door. But, are you leaving work early, coming in late when you're still clocked in? Or, or is there other areas that where we have dishonesty that we're stealing? Maybe ordering a water and filling it with soda at the restaurant. Perhaps it's sharing a code, uh, an access code for a Netflix account among a dozen different people. Where are the areas that maybe we've been dishonest and we need to correct those things? He continues, verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Putting off unwholesome speech and putting on edifying speech. Jesus says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What is our mouth saying? Is our speech uplifting? Is our speech encouraging? Or is our speech tearing others down? Is our speech uh, full of gossip? Is our speech full of criticism? George Meyer says, Words are tiny containers of power, but we can choose whether they, they will be filled with negative, harmful power or with positive, energizing, uplifting power. What are the words you speak? Are they encouraging? Are they edifying? Are they building each other up? Are they tearing each other down? There's a guy, John Francis, and he realized that he got angry really quick and that he was always talking over people. And so he decided to give up speaking for a day to see if there would help him be a better listener. And, and it did a little bit, but he thought, well, maybe two days would be better. Three, four, five. Went, he went a month without speaking, ended up going a year, ended up going 17 years without speaking. Took a vow of silence because he realized he was speaking over people instead of ever listening. Now, hopefully for us, we don't need to take 17 years to get this lesson, but perhaps I want to encourage us today, take some time to not speak, but to listen to others. Or perhaps have it be a goal of today not to criticize some, anything, just to speak positivity today, to point others to God instead of tearing others down. 
Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed with the day of, for, for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's this idea the Holy Spirit is inside us, right? And so when we are full of anger and malice and slander and all these things, we're grieving the Spirit. We should be filled with the joy of the Spirit instead of grieving Him because of what we are doing, because of our minds and our actions. And so Paul is telling us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Live in the fruits of the Spirit. Not bringing, not bringing negativity and grief to the Spirit. Closes out this chapter with the first couple of verses of chapter 5. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love that word, therefore. Paul is saying, uh, in the first part of this letter, I, I outlined who God is, who Jesus is, that you are his masterpiece, that he died for you, that we are unified in, in Christ, that we are loved in Christ. Therefore, this is how we're to act. Because of what Jesus did, because he died for you, we are therefore to live for him. These words were written not just for us to study, but for us to obey, to follow through. So there's a story in John in chapter 11 about the resurrection of Lazarus. You guys are probably familiar with that story. Jesus was out doing ministry and he got word that his good friend was dying. And so he heads to Bethany, but he isn't quick enough. And, and for four days, Lazarus has been dead when he arrives. Her, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, good friends of Jesus, come up to him and say, Where were you? Why couldn't you have saved him? And everyone was mourning and in agony of losing their friend. When Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus has been buried, he has him remove the, the stone and he cries out for Lazarus to come forth. And John 11, 40, 44 says, The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I love this idea of take off the grave clothes. Because that is what he is to be wrapped in. This is when he is dead. But he is alive now. Let us not be in the grave clothes anymore. Same idea as what Paul is sharing. There was our old self. We need to take off that old self and put on the new. As if it was a coat that you could take off the old coat and put on a new one. That others, when they see you, would see you are different. There's something unique. That you are growing in Christ. That you are looking different. That when people see you before and after, perhaps in your life, before you knew Jesus and after, that they would say that clearly there's a difference. But like I said, for some of us that have been following Christ for a long time, are we still, are people seeing Jesus in you? Or are they seeing the ways of the world? Continually be made new. This passage is saying that this is an active thing. That we are constantly following him. We're going to close with a little chart. Of the old clothes to take off and new clothes to put on. And as we look at this list, I want you to look at this and see, is there one of an area that Paul is speaking to us, that God is speaking to us, that maybe we need to change? Maybe we need to take off the old and put on the new. That this week we could focus on this one area that we'd be putting on the new coat. Instead of pursuing sensuality and impurity, Pursue righteousness and holiness. Instead of pursuing greediness, 
pursue speaking truth. Instead of falsehood, pursue forgiveness. Instead of unwholesome speech, generosity. Instead of bitterness, maybe timely words of, of encouragement. Instead of clamor, kindness. Instead of malice, tenderheartedness. This letter was written to believers, to the church in Ephesus. So the letter was written to you and me. That are we pursuing God? Are we pursuing to be like Christ? Are we pursuing to put on a new coat? Which one of these is something that you need to pursue this week? Let me go ahead and, and pray. God, I just lift up this prayer to you. That we would be pursuing you, Lord. That we would pursue uh, taking off the old and putting on the new. That instead of uh, sensuality, greediness, falsehood, bitterness, God, let us pursue truth, forgiveness, generosity, kindness. God, put, on, put in our hearts a burden to grow, a burden to change, a burden to put on the new, to put on you. In your name, amen.